Good morning, Remembrance Community Church. All right, if you guys have your Bibles, you can open your Bibles to John chapter 12 and then go backwards because we're going to be at the end of John chapter 11. Okay? John chapter 11, um, at the end of it. And what, what we're going to be um, looking at today, if you guys haven't been here, you realize very soon that what we're doing this year is we're traveling through the Gospel of John. We're teaching the whole thing. We're not skipping any parts. And, and today, the section that we're going to be looking at is what I would call a transitional piece. It's really a good piece, but it's a transitional piece. And we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more. You'll see kind of what I'm talking about. But, but it, we're also transitioning uh, to a different series within a series. So our last series was called In Process. And the idea is that we're all in process, right? We're all in process. None of, none of us are done here, right? If you're done, this is probably not a good church for you. But if you're in process, this is a, hopefully this is a great church for you, right? Because we're all in process. We're fellow strugglers. We're trying to figure it out. And, and, and we were, we've been looking at this idea in the section. And now there's this new section that we're looking at, and we're calling it Walk With Purpose. And it's a good transition piece because just because just you're in process doesn't mean you can use that as an excuse. You guys, you guys get that? Just because you're in process we don't want to sit there. We don't want to hide there. We want to walk with purpose. And we're going to see Jesus now walking with purpose. So the end of chapter 11, what we just looked at is Jesus does his greatest miracle other than rising from the dead. He, ra- he, he rises Lazarus from the dead, right? And that's what we looked at last week. And we're going to transition into, there's, we're like in the last month before Jesus, uh, Jesus dies on the cross. So we're getting closer and closer to it. Chapter 12, we have the triumphal entry. That's like the beginning of the Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' life. So right now we're in transition, okay? We're in transition. Jesus, um, last week, uh, he he has this really good friend named Lazarus. They're close friends. Martha and Mary, you read about them a lot in the scriptures. That's Lazarus' sisters, right? There's this tender moment when Lazarus passes away. They send for Jesus, right? Jesus says, I love them, and so I'm going to wait two more days before I go. And we start to unpack, why is Jesus doing that? There's a superstition, if you're Jewish, the, the superstition is this. It's not true, it's not in the scriptures, but it was a superstition that, that, that most of them would have believed. They believe that when you pass away, your, your, your spirit hovers around your body for three days. And so for three days, there's always a chance for resuscitation. When does Jesus show up? He shows up on day four, right? When they had lost hope, even their superstition hope was, was gone. True hope arrived on the fourth day. On the, on, 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 and, and, and he rises from the dead. And we're going to see their reaction to that miracle. You're going to see the reaction today, and we're calling it the transitions piece. So the other way of looking at this is this. If you're, if you're a vegetarian, you might not like this analogy, and I, and I, and I, I, I ask you to forgive me in advance. But I work as a fireman. We work in, in Santa Ana. And down in downtown Santa Ana in Orange County, it's kind of like being converted into an artist village, right? A lot of, lot of hipsters, a lot of man buns. Love the man bun. <laughs> Don't really have a man bun. Lots of bow ties and skinny jeans and construction boots with guys that have smooth hands, okay? Hipsters. <laughs> Okay, um, and so we're go we go over there, and you got to just picture. Right? We're 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 four firemen. We're just we're just s- 
simple, very simple, right, the crew that I'm on. And we walk into this artist village, and there's this new coffee shop and all these, like, fancy bubbles things going on. And we go, like, can we get a cup of coffee, right? And so this kid with skinny jeans and construction boots and smooth hands goes, what's your flavor profile? <laughs> now, I've never been, I mean, at Starbucks, I'm just starting to figure that out, right? Like, like what all that stuff means. He goes, what's your flavor profile? So my engineer sarcastically goes, you got anything that tastes like U-Ban? <laughs> right? And so the kid's like, oh, man, well, he makes us these coffee. And we're walking with our coffees, and, I, and we walk by this butcher. It was just the other day. We walk by this butcher, and I'm not kidding you, we were mesmerized. Because it's just, it just was getting back to old school, you know? Like the idea of, of this place is like they're getting back to the way that things used to be. And this butcher is like, he's like an like artist, right? And he's taking this pig, and he's just, he's just doing, you know, he just, he's just dividing it up. And the whole idea is he's going to use every part of the pig, right? Every part of the pig. And I can imagine if I'm a butcher, like I get the pieces that are easy, and that I know about, and like you're going to use that, and you probably waste most of it. The whole point here is this. As we're reading through the gospel according to John, there's pieces in there that are just like the easy, obvious pieces, right? Today we're going to be looking at a piece of sausage, okay? It's the parts that, 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 that we don't want to skip over, and I love sausage. Anyone else in here love sausage? All the vegetarians are judging you, <laughs> and me. So there's this cool piece is what I'm trying to say, okay? So, so, so today, we're going to look at this transition piece, and you've got to remember, Jesus is just, he's just, ro- he's, just, he's just raised Lazarus from the dead, four days, there's no hope, there's no, like, there's no medical, you, it's a miracle. There's no way to say that it wasn't a miracle, it's just a miracle. People, he didn't do it in private and then tell people about it. He did it right in front of a huge crowd, right? There's eyewitnesses. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? If you're there, you've grown up Jewish, everybody's saying bad things, a lot of people are saying bad things about Jesus, they're trying to figure this out. What are you going to do with that? That's the tension that they're in. And that's where we find him. You might be in that tension right now. In John 11, we'll start in verse 45 says this, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did. What is this saying? Mary's brother had just died. All these people in the community had come to be with Mary because they're doing something very Jewish. For seven days, when when someone dies in the Jewish culture, especially in first century, um, you, you would bury them on the day they died. And then for seven days, the community would surround you. They would mourn with you. They called it sit shiva. All these people came to sit shiva. You would hire a flute player, right? And, you, and, and then your people would come and they would just sit. And uh, the idea was, if you, if you want to just tell stories about their life, let's talk about it. If you want to just be quiet, we'll be quiet. If you want to cry, I'll cry with you. If you want to laugh, I'll laugh with you. We'll sit shiva for seven days. In the middle of this, it gets interrupted because Lazarus comes back to from, from, from the dead, right? And all these people are there. That's what this is talking about. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary to sit Shiva with her and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees 
and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, the council, I think, Supreme Court in, Ju- in, in, in Jerusalem, okay? Uh, and said, uh, what are, so, the, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man, Jesus, performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. The first point that we're going to make here um, is this. Following Jesus threatens our comfort zones. Following Jesus will threaten your comfort zone. I'm not saying telling people that you're a Christian necessarily and showing up at church will, will it might, that, might, that might stretch your comfort zone, but I'm saying following Jesus. You guys following me? Following Jesus, deciding I'm going to live for Jesus. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm going to obey Jesus. My life is about following Jesus. If you do that, your life will go through seasons where you're uncomfortable. And following Jesus will threaten your comfort zones. You have to imagine, first of all, that these people, they're like, what do we do? We've seen too much. We just saw Jesus rise someone from the dead that we know. We know he's dead. He was dead for four days. He was in the tomb. We saw it with our own eyes. What's the tension, though? We also know that they hate Jesus, and they want to kill him, and they want to get rid of everyone who's associated with him. They've run him out of town. When Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to Jerusalem because, we, because Lazarus is sick, his disciples go, really? Are you sure you want to do that? They were trying to kill you last time we were there. We barely escaped with our lives. You want to go back? And then Timothy rises up like a punk rocker, and he goes, if he dies, we'll die with him, right? That's Timothy, doubt, the doubting Tom, or Thomas, rather. That's doubting Thomas, right? That's punk rock Thomas, okay? Now, 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 now they're in Jerusalem, right? And everybody feels that tension. To follow Jesus equals... It's going to be a cost. People aren't all going to like it. Some people are going to ostracize me. They're going to call us names. They're going to say, you're one of those, you're with him. We're not going to fit in anymore, potentially. Why is that so important? Because they're about to enter into Christmas season, basically. Like, Passover for them was a time when everybody gets together and they're celebrating. It's community. Imagine if, 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 if all of a sudden you did something and your family was going to just cut you off for Christmas, right? They're going into Passover and they're saying, okay, I guess we're one of them now. It cost them something. Why were they willing to overcome that comfort zone? Because they had seen too much. So in your notes, here's my point. Believing the gospel doesn't require blind faith. When I was in high school, my my, my mom gave me this book by Josh McDowell. It was called, Don't Check Your Brain at the Door. Don't Check Your Brain at the Door. And his point was, he was a very smart uh, theologian, and he had studied these things. He didn't used to believe in Jesus, and as he started to, his, his wife actually became a Christian, right? He, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't a Christian. He was just really smart, and he was a journalist, and, and his, with, with, a, with a lawyer background, and his wife became a Christian. So he decided... 
I better study this stuff so I can fix my wife. That's Josh McDowell's story. And as he studied it, he realized, no, the, the f- when I really honestly look at the facts, there's only one thing I can do. I can believe. He became a believer through that. So don't check your brain at the door. These people are not just believing because they want to. They're believing because they had investigated and seen too much. That it was true. And they, they could make no other thing, they could make no other choice but to believe. But here's the other thing. Some people didn't believe. Some people saw those same things. And they, and they chose a different course. They chose to go tell on Jesus to the Pharisees. And so here's the thing. Self-preservation can lead to ugly places. You ever, you ever, you ever, you ever notice that? Self-preservation can lead to ugly places. Or you could say it like this. Giving in to your fear of losing your comfort can make you do things you're not proud of. Can make, you, can make you not do things that you wish you had done. I wish I had had the courage. Self-preservation will lead you to ugly places. The other piece here we see, it says, it, it, the, the Pharisees, the Supreme Court, there's over 70 of them, right? And they're, and they're meeting in Jerusalem. These are important people, right? And they say, if we let him go on like this, Everyone will believe in him, and then what will be the consequence? And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So what's going on here is that Jerusalem is the center of Jewish worship. The Jews as a nation are under the rule of the Roman government. The way that the Rom- Roman government led was like this. They would be the, over, over, the, o- the overseer, right? They would be the leader. They were in charge, but they would allow you to continue to do some of the things. You had some freedom. You had some religious autonomy, some freedom, but it was a controlled freedom. So what they had done is, is, uh, is the Romans had installed a Jewish king, right? Herod. He was, he, was, he was a poser king. He was a king that was installed by the Romans, right? How do you think the Jewish people felt about that? He's not a real king. He's a poser king, Right? And, and, and then Herod, he would, he would install the people that he wanted to install. That was his job, to be the chief priest, to be the Sadducees, to be the Supreme Court ruler type guys, right? He would install them. Guess whose influence was there? Rome. Rome is installing them. Now, if you are a government sellout, <laughs> right, and Rome installs you, and Rome can remove you, how much pressure do you feel to make sure Rome never gets mad at you? You don't want to do anything that the Romans would have perceived as, as not okay. Okay, we have freedom. Let's just exercise our freedom within the freedom that doesn't rock the boat. Guess what? Jesus is rocking the boat. Big time. There is a, they, they, they see it coming. There is a collision course coming. They understood history. Other messiahs had come. Lots of people got crucified when that happened. Lots of things tightened up around here. People lost their jobs. People lost their heads when that happened. If you're, 
if you're the Jewish leadership and you let the Jews kind of fall apart, then we're going to replace you with somebody who can keep the peace, keep, keep uh, uh, the Roman rule intact, keep the peace, keep paying taxes. As long as you do those things, do whatever you want. You, you mess that up, we'll get someone else who can do the job. That's the struggle. We're going to lose our job. We're going to lose our livelihood. How will I take care of my family? What will people think of me? I'm no long, I have no more power. That's what they're worried about. Because following Jesus threatens our comfort zone. There's irony here. Jesus has shown up. The scriptures that they keep saying that they, that they cherish, Jesus is fulfilling all of them. And he's not just doing it like in secret. He's doing it out in the open, and he's telling them how he is. There's no excuse. They see it. All they have to do is listen. Jesus is proving himself over and over and over again. But they're so afraid of losing what they have that they can't even listen. They can't see clearly. Fear is like that. Self-preservation is a blinder. The question to overcome this is this. Will you value what you'll gain or, what, or will you value what you'll lose? If you say, I'm going to follow Jesus all the days of my life, like, like, like not just like, you know, like, like be a Trump follower and be a Republican or whatever it is that you might think that Christianity is like. Not like that. I'm talking about follow Jesus, like read the Bible, and whatever it says, I do it. And I'm going to, like, along the way, like Jesus asked me to do it, I'm going to do it. Uh, and I'm going to get into community around those other weird Christians and, and help them figure it out because they're in process. And I'm going to be in process. And I'm going to make this a central piece of my life. If you do that, you'll lose some things. Well, here's the difference. Some people, they focus on what they lose. But a true worshiper, like, like what Jesus desires us to be, a true, a true worshiper cherishes what they gain. And they count it as nothing compared to what they lose. That's what Paul says in Philippians. He goes, all the stuff I had, and he, he, he paints the picture. I had everything that they were trying to protect. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the guy. He was trained by this guy who was like the guy. If you got trained by this guy, you know, maybe like if you're in UFC, right? Like this guy's like, like this guy got trained in jujitsu by Hoist Gracie. Okay? This guy is somebody. Paul. He says, I consider all of that like dung compared to just what I have now. I've gained Christ. Do we focus on what we're going to lose? Or what we'll gain. It's a good piece of sausage right there, right? Let's go on. Verse 49. Says, so, th so, they, so, they, so they, they bring this news to the, to the Jewish leaders, right? The council. It says, but one of them, Caiaphas. I did that right, huh? She always cracks me on my Greek. Caiaphas. But one of them, his name was Caiaphas, <laughs> he said, 
He was the high priest that year. He said to them, you know nothing at all. You can only imagine, the, like, there's like over 70 of them, right? And they're like, yeah, but he, like, how do you, how do we cover this up? He just raised Lazarus from the dead. Like, how do we figure this out? He's, what is he really doing wrong? There's all this arguing, right? Ultimately, though, they don't want to lose. They're like, how can they, they're all like, how do I make sense of this? It says, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into, into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, They made plans to put him to death. What's going on here is Caiaphas, it says he prophesies. This is interesting. He doesn't know he's doing it. What Caiaphas is really doing is he's saying, look, some of you guys are saying, let's just let him go. He hasn't really done anything wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. If we let this guy keep going on, the whole nation as we know it is going to crumble. Does that sound familiar with our, the whole nation will crumble. If we if if we do this right, that's their fear, right? If we don't stop Jesus, then everything that we've worked so hard for is going to be lost. So he says, it's better that we kill them than that they come and, and and kill all of us or take away our nation. He's in self-preservation mode. You guys catch the irony? The irony is this: that's the very reason Jesus is there, but not at their hand. And not in their way. He's going to willingly lay down his life. It's going to be the Passover. He's going to become the Passover lamb. Who dies for the sins of the world. And he's going to do it. Not only for the nation of Israel. But for all the nations. For all who would believe. Past, present, and future. All who would believe. Jesus is going to be the savior of the world. It's prophetic, and it's ironic. Well, here's one of the things that, that, that I bring out from here. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that we see all throughout Scripture, that what man intends for evil, God intends for good. That's a big picture understanding of when you ever, when you ever ask, like, like, what are we going to do? The world's getting so bad. No. Nope. What man intends for evil God intends for good. We see that in the Old Testament with the story of Joseph. We don't have time, um, time to pack that, but, but check that out someday. But in this, in this passage, what Caiaphas intends for evil, to kill Jesus and go back to the status quo, to kill Jesus so we can get back to our comfort zone, what he intends for evil, God has a much bigger purpose, doesn't he? prophetic why is this why is this perspective so important to 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 understand this in your life think about this what god intent what, what man intends for evil you guys ever ever come face to face with that people's bad intentions life's hard you can't control not everybody's for you 
you got to watch your back. People will cut you to get ahead, right? Not everybody has your best interest in mind. But what people intend for evil, God intends for good. God can always use any circumstance. It never gets out of hand from God's hand. When we read the news and we go, it's getting out of hand. No, it isn't. It's still in his hand. And he's still able to use all of those things for his glory and for our good, for our eventual good. What are some practical ways that this becomes helpful? You ever try to love your enemies? Loving your enemies is hard. Is that true? But the Bible instructs us to love our enemies. How do you love your enemies? If you, if you, if you think, I don't have, or maybe this, how do you love your frenemies? You guys have any frenemies? Like, let's keep them close because I don't want to let them get over there. Who knows what they'll say behind my back, right? Those are frenemies. How do you love them? How do you love people that are hard to love? Especially when they're sneaky and you know they're out to get you. They're your enemies. How do you love them? You have to step back and see the big picture. There's nothing that you can do to me that's outside of God's hand. I'm free to love you, knowing that God is in charge of the results. I'm not saying it's easy. It's incredibly hard. But I think the key to even making it possible is to not focus on the enemy, but to focus on God. To focus on the bigger picture, no matter what they do. God can use it for good. So I don't need to focus on it. And you can start to, when you start to back up like that, you start to realize, yes, they're an enemy. Because they do things, real things, that hurt me. But, but there's a reason why they're like that. There's a deep reason why they're like that. And they need Jesus, just like I need Jesus. And they're in process. It's like I'm in process. And when, when I'm doing things that hurt other people, which I do, and probably you do too if you're honest, right? You're someone's enemy. They're not just your enemy. You're someone's enemy, right? And I want them to love me and to see deeper than the mistakes I make, don't we? And so we can, we can start to get an idea of what this might look like to love your enemies. How do you forgive someone who isn't sorry? That's probably the hardest thing I've ever faced. Can you forgive someone? Okay, I can forgive them. What about if they're not sorry? Ooh, that's hard. That's the hardest. Anyone ever face that? How do you forgive someone that's not sorry? It's hard. It's very hard. But Jesus forgave me before I was sorry. And that's what he says. He says, he says, forgive as I have forgiven you. Step back and look at the bigger picture. Yes, they hurt you, but in the big picture, God's still on the throne. He's still able to use it. What, what man intends for evil, God always can use for good. What, what can man do to me if God is for me? Those are the pictures we see in the scriptures. How do you forgive somebody who isn't sorry? 
Well, I might ask this. What's that unforgiveness doing rattling around in your heart? It's one of the things I pray all the time. God, give me a soft heart and thick skin. Most of the time I have, I'm thin-skinned, right? Things easily bother me, and I'm hard-hearted, right? But I want a soft heart and thick skin. Unforgiveness is an enemy to a soft heart, and I don't want that. And so I can bring that to God and go, God, help me forgive this. And here's what I would say. It's, not a, it's usually not a one-step process, forgiveness, is it? But would you be willing to just take the next step? God, I surrender to you. Yes, they're a jerk. Yes, what they did hurt. Yes, it's hard when I, when I, when I try to talk to them about it, and they, and, they, and they act like, and they make excuses. Yes, it's hard. Help me, God, to see that you are still on the throne. And help me to get out of the small picture and into the big picture and to see it the way that you see it. I would suggest that how to forgive someone who isn't, who isn't sorry, it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever faced, but maybe the beginning key is to see a bigger picture. I don't know how you could do it if you didn't have that. How do you have peace in a hostile world? Anyone else besides me ever go on Facebook or, re or, or watch the news or, or listen to people talk and then get a little bit an anxious? <laughs> like, how is this going to work out? I'm raising my kids, and what will it be like in 10 years, right? What, what, what's, what's going on with the world today, right? Like, it's a hostile world. I just, I just got a, a, a petition like, Biola, the one university that I, that I, that I still like, oh, cool, I'm gonna, I want to send my kids to Biola. It's like, it's like a heaven-type thing, and you don't have to worry about all that stuff. They're under attack, and they're going to lose their privilege, they're saying. Oh, no, what will I do? Right? It's a hostile world. How do I have peace in the middle of that? I would suggest what Paul said. You feel anxious. Take it to God. And then he'll give you the peace that's beyond understanding. That's what it says. What does that look like practically? Step back from it. See the big picture, God's still on the throne. What man intends for evil, God intends for good. I read the end. He wins. They haven't changed the story. You think God ever wakes up and goes, oh, I'm so surprised at how bad things are getting. He's never surprised. He wrote it when he knew all that. He knew all of that. Guess what? When someone tries to hurt you, when you bring it to God, he's like, you know what? That did hurt, and it's, that's not coming from God's hand, but it's never outside of his hand. Let me use that for your good. That's a good God. That's a good God that, that doesn't have to control everything by micromanaging it, but can, but can be sovereign over everything, even the evil that happens. Everything that he does, he's predestined it, and he knows what's going to happen. He foreknew what was going to happen. He predestined a way to work it all out for his glory and for your good. I don't know how he does that, but that's the glory of God. God is sovereign so I can sleep at night. God is sovereign so I can forgive people even when, they're, even, when they're, even when they're smug, right? I can love people even when they're against me because of who God is. And the last thing is this. I know these are chunky parts. They're like sausage, but they're good chunks. The last one is this. 
You can't purify yourself. We're going to have the worship team come back up as we unpack this a little bit. You can't purify yourself. Starting in verse 54, it says, Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but he went from there to the region near near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. How many of you guys would love to get a, be a fly on the wall in that time? He's just Jesus and his disciples. They're like, they're like, there's camaraderies high because everyone's against them, right? Jesus is about to go uh, and, and die, right? He's telling them all these things. He's giving them all these last words. We're going to be unpacking some of those in the next several weeks, right? But for now, he's just spending some time with his disciples and he's staying away from Jerusalem, just for these last few weeks. Is he going to stay away forever? He's going to walk right into it. But he has a purpose for this time. This is not his time, it says. It will soon be his time, but right now is the time for him to be with his disciples. He has a purpose for it. It says, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. It's coming right up. And many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, they should let him know so they might arrest him. It's a hostile time. How do you have peace in a hostile time? But the the last of the, the, the three ironies today is this. The Jews are coming to Jerusalem to do what? To purify themselves. And Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to die on a cross to purify them once for all. Hebrews tells us this. It never worked. The self-purification never worked. Year after year, they had to keep coming back. More animals had to be sacrificed. It never worked because it was pointing to something. When Jesus shows up, he dies on a cross once for all for the sins of the nations, for all who would believe. He dies on the cross. You can't purify yourself. It's like this. We're saved through faith in Christ alone. By grace. That's a free gift. That means if you're saved by grace, that means that there's nothing that you can do to make God love you anymore. He loves you because of what he did. And there's nothing that you can do to make God love you any less. As crazy as that sounds, as much as it won't feel like that most of the time. If you're really following Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. Oftentimes we ask this question, why would you love me, God? It's a good question. It's a good question. But, but by faith we go, because you do. I can't figure it out. I just am thankful. So by grace alone, in Christ alone, that's how we're saved. Through faith, by grace, in Christ. Jesus comes to Jerusalem. He dies on a cross. Once for all, you can't purify yourself. I have a friend. You guys probably all have friends. We'll we'll end with this, and then we'll go right into worship. I have this friend, and it breaks my heart. He's been a Christian longer than me, 
I've been a Christian about 21, 22 years. He's been a Christian. I've been through ups and downs. If I've, I've tried to walk away from God. He's just never let me, right? That's my story. Thankfully, I've had a lot more seasons where, where, where I was excited about it and I was, I was excited about what I gained, but they weren't all like that. But I have a friend. He's been a Christian longer than me. When I was in high school, he used to meet with me and talk about Jesus, try to teach me about Jesus. Well, he has some, he has some skeletons in his closet. He's had a hard life. He keeps messing up. And though me and, and the others around him keep saying, we love you, come back to God. He stays away. He hides. And I just want him to know, dude, you can't purify yourself. It's not how it works. Jesus has already done that. So as we prepare for worship, I just want you to weigh in on that. Whatever it is you're, you're, you're feeling guilty about, you can't purify yourself. Just be thankful for what Jesus has done. If you're on the fence, if you're living in one foot in, one foot out, it doesn't work. It didn't work for Caiaphas. He lasted 19 years. He's the longest reigning uh, leader in that time because he was a politician. And, he, and, and, I, and I don't know what happened at the end of his life, but I imagine he had regrets. And I know when he went to heaven and he looked Jesus straight in the face, he had regrets. Don't live one foot in, one foot out. Follow Jesus. Whatever comfort you give up, you'll gain a hundredfold. Follow Jesus. You can't purify yourself. He's already done it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you were this guy who showed up in Jerusalem and you were doing miracles and claiming to be God. And we thank, we're thankful that it wasn't the first that they had heard about this, that you had been writing this in, in your scriptures through the whole Old Testament, and everything pointed to you. That this, that, that, that this is, as long as we have recorded history, we have, we have a message that points to you, Jesus. And then when you showed up, if we're honest, there's never been anybody like you. And you did miracles. And you claim to be God. And I believe you were and are. And I believe you died on the cross. And I believe I can't purify myself. But I believe that, that you've purified me and made me white as snow. So may we, may we relish that. May we cherish that. May we worship you.